in this report, 33 of the 62 indicators that were studied were found to be indicators of environmental justice concerns for the Bayview Hunters Point residents. So those are things like unemployment, poverty status, the cost of living, educational attainment, diesel particulate matter from facilities like the Southeast plant. So this community really needs help. And I'm hoping that the SFPUC kind of delivers on their promises for the community. Welcome back and thank you for joining us for another episode of the UE podcast, where we share stories about sustainability solutions and problem solving in planning and policy. This podcast is sponsored by the Department of Urban and Environmental Policy and Planning at Tufts University. I'm joined today by my co-host. Hi guys, I'm Allie. It is our pleasure to welcome once again, Abby Kubota to the podcast where we interview her through an ongoing series to discuss her internship. She grew up in the East Bay area of California and this semester is working for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission or the SFPUC as you might hear it called. And she's mainly responsible for sampling drinking water and wastewater and analyzing their quality in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hi, Abby. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Good to see you now, Allie. You missed so last time. So good to time. see you. I know. I wasn't I here last time. <laughs> coming, in, coming in ready to chit-chat. Miss you, Abby. Yeah, I miss you, too. The gang's all here today. Did you know last year's infrastructure bill passed by the U.S. government contains more than $55 billion in funding for water projects? The first funding, totaling $7.4 billion, went out at the end of last year, and now another tranche of $1.3 billion has been awarded to 18 states. And finally, between 2000 and 2020, the global population with access to safely managed drinking water services has increased from $3.8 billion to 5.8 billion people. That means 90% of human beings now have access to either basic or safely managed drinking water services, the highest proportion in our species history, according to the WHO. That's a great one to end on. I love that. So speaking about water and water access, Abby, I'm curious with your role in water quality at your organization, what can you tell us about what water access is like in San Francisco or how you guys deal with that? Yeah, so I feel like I touched on this in the first episode, but just as a refresher, the city of San Francisco gets all of their water from the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir up near Yosemite. It used to be the Hetch Hetchy Valley, and we dammed it up, and all of the water that's collected there from rainwater and snowmelt gets funneled down to San Francisco, and all along that pipeline, we also sell that water to surrounding cities who need it. We also have groundwater wells in the city of San Francisco, and actually, this is a project that's supposed to be completed in 2023, next year, but the construction of up to 16 new recovery and test wells and facilities that consist of like chemical treatment equipment, tanks, pumping systems, et cetera, um, for regional groundwater storage, just because if there is a time where that Hetch Hetchy Reservoir runs out of water, we're going to have to rely on our groundwater storage. So we're trying to up that for, I think, over a million residents that get water from the SFPUC. So 
just a little bit of water stuff, but I wanted to actually share another kind of good news in particular specific to San Francisco. Do you guys know what PG&E is? Tell us more. All right. So PG&E is basically California's gas and electric company. So Pacific Gas and Electric. I don't know if anybody heard about this news story, but when wildfires were happening a year or two ago, there was a severe wildfire that happened and PG&E ended up being responsible for it. They did. I do remember this. Yes, they caused it. And there's a dispute right now in the city of San Francisco with PG&E. Um, So the SFPUC provides power as well. So they provide electricity and PG&E has basically been obstructing a lot of projects that San Francisco wants to build. So maybe like a library or affordable housing projects, um, new infrastructure for electrical lines. They're all kind of um, heating the building of all those projects, they're making San Francisco pay billions of dollars to get new equipment. And just last week, I think um, the FERC made a decision that helps ensure that PG&E cannot use its monopoly to derail SF's efforts to Mm. to provide affordable public power. So it's just one win for the city of San Francisco. So PG&E cannot restrict us anymore with projects we want to build. That's awesome. That sucks mm-hmm. that our system is set up in the first place to allow that to happen, but great that your government is able to do something about it. Yeah, California courts ruled against PG&E, so one win for the little guys, I guess. Awesome. Boo, PG&E. <laughs> <laughs> um, but kind of going back to about like the water access, so you were talking about how it comes from the reservoir. So um, I know that California is known for droughts. Can you talk about a little bit water access, especially during like the drought season? Yeah. So it's interesting because I was always raised, I feel like we've been in perpetual drought in California because when I was younger, we used to have this timer that had a suction cup and my parents made us put it in our showers and you flip it when you start <laughs> and it limits your shower to three minutes long. Wow. A and long shower. Yeah, I know, right? So we had to just Ellie rush could it. Never. I could never. I take <laughs> such long showers. I know that's so bad. But... Yeah, and then we also do the if it's yellow, let it mellow type vibe. That was uh, a big thing for us. I wish that California. that was more common. Because right? when I went to Cape Town, it was a year after that they had their really bad drought. I don't know if you guys remember hearing about this on the news, but back in, I think it was 2017, they had severe droughts so much that residents i believe drinking water was limited like showers Mm. were limited and so even a year later when i went when we were we stayed in cape town for a few weeks out of the program they they still practice the let it if it's mellow if it's it's yellow yellow, let it mellow mellow. if it's brown flush it down yeah we still do that in my household i remember my roommate uh (laughs) in boston I I would still leave the yellow to mellow and she was like you don't have to do that here and I'm like ah oh. it's like ingrained you don't in have me. to but yeah I don't and know we're adapting where, that where do you stand on the yellow mellow I brown really, down? I don't mind I mean yeah let's minimize our water use like yeah flush. yeah so I feel like I you know San Francisco because we get direct water from the Hetch Hetchy and this is 
my first honestly few months living in the city itself I'm actually not sure if San Francisco struggles with water like other big cities I don't think they do as much as other big cities do in San Francisco residents actually I've heard from my organization and people in my organization that the people in San Francisco, the residents are really cognizant of the water that they use. So I think it is like the same that I was raised three minute showers. If it's yellow, let it mellow type vibe They're they're really upholding that. And even in the winter time, water usage actually goes down significantly. Um, and it's just starting to get to winter time. So I will, I think, start to see kind of changes in the, kind of amount of chlorine that's in the pipes so Mm. this is like a fun little tidbit chlorine is pumped into water pipes there's trace levels of chlorine in your drinking water just because it needs to be there so you don't drink bacteria you don't want any weird bacteria in your water so at these central locations your water company will pump chlorine into the pipes and when it gets to the end of the pipe you'll notice less and less amounts of chlorine. Um, So in the summer times when there's more water usage, um, less water in general, you'll see very minute levels of chlorine at the end of your pipes, which is honestly not a good thing. So the center has to regulate, oh, hey, we need to pump a little bit more chlorine in. So at the end of the line where these people get water, they're not at risk of disease. But in the wintertime, we actually might have to limit the amount of chlorine that we pump into the pipes because less people are using water. So if there's too much chlorine, it's not good for the people drinking the water. So is that the only thing, is that the only product that they like chlorine to um, like sanitize and make sure that the bacteria isn't in the water? Are there other um, additions that the city makes? So the Hetch Hetchy actually has some of the cleanest water, if not the cleanest water in all of the U.S. Um, it is extremely pure, so pure that we don't even have to add extra anything. Um, so I think chlorine is the only thing that we add um, because it's so clean, which is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. If you're ever in That's San Francisco, mm-hmm. yeah, you can drink straight from any tap. It's the cleanest water some of the cleanest water you'll get. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Another reason to go out and visit you. Yes, come out. <laughs> kind of going back to the accessibility question. So it sounds like access is pretty um, universal to water in the city. Do you have any comments on like the equi- equitable um, practices of water management within the city? So we, so I know that the SFPUC, it's funny because I don't run the, uh, utilities. I don't go through the SFPUC for utilities at my house. It's one of my roommates, but I know that the SFPUC has, um, programs for lower income, um, residents of San Francisco for things like electricity. And I'm sure that it also, Um, is available for their water access as well. But I believe that San Francisco actually has really good rates for water and electricity. And that's another reason why we want to be able to provide all of the electricity for the city of San Francisco is because PG&E's rates are really high and they don't work for everybody. So I think that 
my organization, the SFPUC, is trying to allow access and affordable access to everybody if needed. Um, I wish I knew more about the electricity sector, but I think the water sector is very affordable. Everybody can get access um, and there's programs to limit how much you spend on it. Good to know. Um, so I guess just jumping into the next topic, um, environmental justice. So we've already talked a little bit about the access to water within mm-hmm. San Fran, but kind of switching the lens a little bit more to environmental justice and the community benefits approach um, that you had mentioned to us prior, um, it, specifically with the Bayview Hunters Point, um, which has a resiliency index of one, which is extremely low. First, Abby, could you explain to us the community benefits, the community or... benefits approach? Like what, what's that about? Yeah, so the community benefits approach is um, something that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission um, jointly created with the community of Bayview's Hunters Point in 2009, I believe. Um, And the community actually played a critical role in this policy's passage. And so they came up with a definition in tandem with the community to define environmental justice. And they define it as the fair treatment of people of all races, cultures, and incomes in the belief that no group of people should bear disproportionate impacts from the SFPUC's operations, programs, or policies. Um, So their agency was the first utility in the nation to pass environmental justice and community benefits policies. And they did this just because they really want to be a good neighbor to the communities that are impacted by our water projects, our solar projects, and our wastewater projects. Um, So I believe that they published a report in 2010 kind of analyzing Bayview Hunters Point where their southeast wastewater treatment plant is located, which actually I'm going to work at on Monday, starting on Monday, going to a new location. Yeah. So honestly, this company is like, I feel like is great. They're letting me experience a lot of different areas, but specifically the Southeast wastewater treatment plant is where I'll be. And they actually have been negatively contributing to the community as a whole. Um, A lot of residents before 2010, before that report was created, would complain about, you know, the noise, definitely the smell, um, some construction going on in that area. And so to offset those kinds of problems, um, the SFPUC decided that they would create a the Southeast Community Center, which provides kind of a central location for that community, but they're also um, updating those outdoor wastewater facilities. So they're called biodigesters. They're updating those. So they're not as stinky, not as noisy, not a, not that much of an eyesore. They're actually hiring local artists to paint a mural outside, like on the outside really? of that. Yeah. Outside of that area. So I think they're really trying um, to offset kind of negative effects of those biodigester facilities in that area. I think they invested $3 billion to upgrade and modernize that equipment for the community. Um, I don't recall any other communities off the top of my head that they're kind of doing this for, 
but this is the biggest project I think that they have ongoing right now. So it's fun to see. And they just opened the community center, I think a couple weeks ago, they sent out a, a group email to everybody, all of the workers at the SFPUC saying, hey, come visit, we, we just finished. So hopefully that is a really good thing for the community of Hunter's Point. Definitely building trust between, um, you know, the community at large and with, you know, corporations and with businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Although I feel like I always have a kind of like not cynical, but always questioning the intentions of certain organizations, right? And especially because yes. I'm in community engagement right now, as you were last year, Abby. Mm-hmm. And um, it just has me wondering. So they've built this community center but are are they providing staffing and like you know what I mean right <clears throat> and honestly the SFPUC is not free from criticism either so I was looking up this environmental justice report the other day and I typed it into Google and I actually found a report from about a year ago in 2021 and it's titled the community benefits program failed promises vulnerable to abuse And so I actually looked into this article and apparently the auditors, we were um, open to an audit, I guess, last year, and they found that um, this program actually allows contractors to pledge community benefits to help win city contracts. And it was poorly designed. So the idea behind this whole community benefits approach is really good. So this the SFPUC say um, contractors can get extra points on bids to win contracts to build things in the city if they pledge money or volunteer hours or in-kind services to nonprofits or other organizations that help the community. So that could include things like internships for youth in the Bayview-Hunters Point community, building affordable housing near the Hetch Hetchy Dam, things like that. But there was a lack of clear controls, which basically means that these companies that would promise all of these things could back out on it. And I think that they spent $25 million in benefits are still owed on existing contracts, which means there are many contractors who backed out of their promises for community benefits approaches. So they are not immune to criticism um we all we have a new director of services and he said that they're going to do everything in their power to fix it this was a year ago and i actually was able to meet with him and he was going around to the different um organizations within the SFPUC. So I'm water quality. He had a meeting with all of the workers within water quality to get their ideas. I hope that they edit this community benefits approach to hold these contractors accountable. I think it's dumb that they didn't in the first place, but we'll see in due time. It kind of brings up the question of, so it's the promises made to build trust between these organizations and corporations with the community to have a mutual understanding and also to have communication. But do you think that part of this trust has to be accountability because it innately like isn't there if they've been able to give up on these promises? Yeah, I, I think that you know, the SFPUC with opening this community center, I think that's a step in the right direction. 
you know, this audit was done probably more than a year ago because they have to release the audit to the public. So it was probably done in maybe 2020 and it was released in 2021 and then people saw it and they were exposed. So I'm hoping that within kind of that year or two that they did the audit, I'm hoping that things did change. Um, and I think that the community center is evidence of that, but I wonder if they've done any, you know, surveys recently with the Hunter Hunters Point Bayview community to see their ideas and their opinions on the community center also. I think that needs to be an ongoing thing is really confiding within the community and getting their opinions on things. I think that has to be a constant open kind of conversation while they're in that community working. Another thing that I noticed in that report mm -hmm. um, was the lack of um, public recreation space. So uh, obviously the community center benefits that, but do you know of any other projects that are being done? Let's see. So yeah, I know that the community center does have an outdoor space, outdoor recreation space. Um, the report actually analyzed what the SFPUC needs to do to offset their biodigester facilities, positively offset them. And one of their suggestions was bringing back the Bayview Garden Supply pop-up program, which I believe is kind of like a farmer's market type deal or a CSA type thing. I know that they're also trying to provide internships for about 200 people annually within that area. I don't know if they've built any parks or outdoor green spaces, but they have that listed in a recommendation is to have more green spaces, have an outdoor greenhouse for future workshops for gardening and growing your own food. And they're also wanting to increase um, an opportunity for pedestrian and bike connections within the city and also around the community center. So hopefully they'll stick to that and like actually build upon that. I think that they must have those things in store, but I haven't seen anything about it. So I'll keep y'all you know updated. For, you know I'm a sucker <laughs> for transportation improvements. Yeah. And of course with that too, having the visions and the plans is very different than putting that into practice yeah yeah this this report was like 210 pages of really great stuff I just wonder if this stuff mm. is going to be implemented because there's a difference between saying it and doing it ah. mm -hmm. well we we shall see we shall Actions see. speak louder than words oh yeah definitely and I think this community really needs it I um in this report it 33 of the 62 indicators that were studied in the report were found to be indicators of environmental justice concerns for the Bayview Hunters Point residents. So that's over 50% of the indicators that they used to like represent the community. They hit it. So th those are things wow. like unemployment, poverty status, the cost of living, educational attainment, 
diesel particulate matter, so DPM concentration, toxic releases from facilities like the southeast plant, and also groundwater threats. So those are just some of the 33 indicators that were touched on. So this community really needs help, and I'm hoping that the SFPUC kind of delivers on their promises for the community. So going back to the biodigesters, do you want to give us a quick definition for any listeners who might not know what a biodigester is? Yeah, a biodigester system utilizes organic waste. In this case, it's human excrement, so from your toilets and the sewer systems, and we it's used to produce fertilizer and biogas. So they consist of airtight, high-density like containers where the waste is diluted in water flow and it's fermented by microorganisms present in the waste. So at the Southeast Center that I'm going to be going to, they have a community garden where they use that fertilizer that they make from the biodigesters to just to see if it works, just to see if it's good quality. And they actually sent us an email. They send us like fun, quirky little weekly emails. Hey, how's it going for, you know, spooky Halloween week? But during that week, they actually... Sent us a picture of the pumpkin that was grown from the biodigester fertilizer. No it was way. freaking huge. I think it was 80 something pounds. 80 hey, something pounds. We got a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus in our waste. So, yeah. Yeah. So it works. Gross stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's definitely a concern yeah. with the stinky, you know, biogas too. Hmm. But you get an 80 pound pumpkin. You get an 80 pound pumpkin. And I believe that we are using that fertilizer. I think we're actually selling it to farmers um, in the area. I don't think just in San Francisco, I feel like we're selling it to farms in California. So it's a good way for the SFPUC to also make money off of our poopy. More sustainable practice. Yeah. Absolutely. You know I love waste water. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's a wastewater king. Wastewater king? Yeah.